This episode is brought to you by the members and donors of the Best of the Left podcast. For information, go to the membership tab at bestofleft.com. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the California Marriage Protection Act, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Colbert Report, Countdown, The Daily Show, The Mother Jones Podcast, and The Moth Podcast. Right now, traditional marriage is under attack. An epidemic is sweeping our nation, and you have the power to help. Every divorce starts with the death of a traditional marriage. Right now, anyone who legally gets married can also legally get divorced. The 2010 California Marriage Protection Act will make it illegal to get divorced in the state of California. Divorce has been illegal for 99% of human history. If it's not broken, don't fix it. I got divorced. And now I have to live with that horrible sense of liberation for the rest of my life. My kids are being taught in school that divorce is all right. It's true. I learned that. Parents should be teaching their kids things, not schools. Divorce costs hardworking Californians $4.8 billion every year. Say no to wasteful government spending by saying yes to no divorce. Vote yes, because marriage isn't a right. It's a responsibility. of 13,000 qualified and honorable troops. We must do right by our taxpayer. It makes no sense that we spend $1.3 billion to train these heroes up and then just to kick them out just because of their sexual orientation. And lastly, this policy is simply un-American. It goes against the very fabric which makes our country great that we were all created equal. That was what a call to action looks like. And in this case, the caller was Congressman Patrick Murphy, Democrat of Pennsylvania. Congressman Murphy is a straight, married Iraq War veteran. And he has taken the lead in the House in the effort to repeal the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. Congressman Murphy held an hour-long special session of floor speeches last night on don't ask, don't tell. He read letters from service members who opposed the policy. He introduced a lot of other House Democrats who are also pushing for an end to the policy. He touted the 100 176 co-sponsors who've now signed on to a House resolution that calls for a repeal of the law. Sounds sort of inspiring, right? Sounds like momentum. 
So naturally, after all these stirring speeches and personal stories and the many mentions of the 176 co-sponsors, as if on cue, the proverbial Oscar the Grouch popped out of his trash can to remind everyone of the inertia that is resisting that momentum. Immediately following the special hour against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Republican Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas took to the floor and randomly, relevant to no particular legislation being discussed, unveiled his own take on the gays. The definition of, uh, of um, sexual orientation is wide open to all kinds of interpretation. And someday, some court somewhere will say, you know what, sexual orientation means exactly what those words mean. If uh, you're oriented toward animals, bestiality, uh, then, you know, that, that's not something that could be used, held against you or any bias be held against you for that, which means you'd have to strike any laws against bestiality. If you're oriented toward corpses, toward children, you know, there are all kinds of perversions. All kinds of perversions. On programming note, um, we are planning a special segment to introduce Congressman Louis Gohmert to America on tomorrow night's show, so you might want to arrange for childcare, as this segment may very well not be suitable for children or pets or corpses. Uh, but regardless of Louis Gohmert's best efforts to equate being gay with the plots of several of the Saw movies, uh, there is suddenly a lot of going on, uh, there's suddenly a lot of policy going on uh, around gay politics. The president is set to address the largest gay rights group in the country this weekend. He'll speak at a human rights campaign fundraiser on Saturday. The Gay Rights National Equality March on Washington is then set for Sunday. The Associated Press is reporting tonight that the Obama administration is about to name its first openly gay ambassador. The Washington Washington, D.C. City Council is considering a bill that would allow same-sex marriage in the District of Columbia. And after President Obama's national security advisor said this weekend that the president would work on repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, quote, at the right time, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who has promised the first ever Senate hearings on Don't Ask, Don't Tell, responded immediately by saying, frankly, that the right time is now. I'm more interested in how he survived the disco inferno. Please welcome Tim Fora.
much for joining us. Now, for the uninitiated, and I don't know if there is an initiation, but we'll skip that. What was Stonewall? Why, why so significant? What happened that night? Well, what's really significant about Stonewall, first of all, it was the end of the 60s. Everyone else had had their rebellion during the, the black people, brown people, women. And so Stonewall was a... That was, covers everybody, black, brown, and women. Well, yeah, it does in a way. People of color. Okay, Which you all prefer, right. all right. Um, I don't see but color. Stonewall but Stonewall was a... Stonewall it was a mafia bar in the village. It was, it was a mafia bar? Yes, that's organized crime, Stephen. Well, I know. I, uh, oh, I, oh, I know. You and, think I don't give a kickback and, for and the, the studio? <laughs> and the reason, it, they were the only people that would operate places where gay and lesbian people could go to because it was against the law to be homosexual in New York City as it was in most of the country. So Stonewall was this really sleazy dive. It was like something out of a 30s movie, like his old speakeasy, boarded up windows in front. Jake sent me, that kind of thing? Yes, with a little thing, mm. yes. Jake sent me, are you gay enough? Do I know who you are? Is there a scale? Is there a scale uh, of gayness? No. I think it's more, are you cute enough? Are you, you know, cute enough? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. And um, this particular night, it was a Friday night in, su- in the summer, very hot, early in the evening. There were police had arrived to get a payoff. I know that's going to be probably be shocking to you that police actually took money from organized crime, but in fact they did in, in this particular instance. And there was trouble inside the bar with the amount of money that they got. And the people in the bar started making fun of the cops. Now this is nothing unusual. Little. Gay... I hate it when gay people tease people. <laughs> that's one of your most vicious weapons. But we do, do but we do do it well. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular person, uh, what we call a passing woman, a woman that dressed as a man. A I, passing woman? That was called a passing woman. I have actually, met a few. Go on. Uh, <laughs> unlike a passing man, but mm-hmm. this was a passing... And she talked back to the cop, and the cop got insulted that this passing woman would be speaking to him in that way. They arrested her, handcuffed her, and took her and put her in the police car outside. When she got in the police car, because she was a very butch-passing woman, she started rocking the car back yes. and forth. And, and people started to gather seeing this police car in front mm-hmm. of this, of this of bar. And much to her surprise, she got her hands out of the handcuffs, and the cop had forgotten to, to lock both sides of the car. So she got herself out of the car. And this is, by the way, the significant moment of what happened that night, not the Stonewall Inn. What happened is she threw her bulky body against that police car, and in that moment, the crowd went up in cheers, and something happened. Are you that... saying it took a lesbian to fight for gay rights? <laughs> oh, well, you know, Stephen, most people don't understand that lesbians are part of the gay rights movement. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, we actually have lesbians. I had no idea. In, in, in fact, the, the lesbians... I thought you had radically different agendas. <laughs> we have the same agenda, which is about freedom. Now, are you guys upset with uh, Barack Obama? I'm hearing a lot of gay people upset with Barack Obama. You heard what I said before. He's just got to take his time with this. I did what you said. I was very glad you did. I, I, you know, I'm very troubled by Barack Obama because I think most gay and lesbian people in this country voted for Barack Obama and expected him to talk about our issues. And he's playing a classic liberal role. It's always about wait, wait, wait. We're waiting here in New York City, in New York State, to get, so we can get married. We're waiting to be able to serve honorably this country in the military. We're waiting and waiting. And I'm quite frankly, as most people are, sick and tired of it. And we expected a Bar- Barack Obama to step up to the plate and do what is principled, what well, is why right. Why don't you do the smart thing? Why don't you do the smart thing? If you are tired, 
If you're tired of liberals saying one thing and then saying, wait, 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 when they get into office, why don't you come over to conservatives? Because we're honest. We say no, no, no from the very beginning. You know, isn't there something to be said for honesty? Yeah, there's Actually, there is something to be said for that because Thank we know you. who our enemies are. And I'd much rather speak... Keep your enemies close. close. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And your gay enemies closer. <laughs> So, but, but to go back to Barack Obama, it's, it's deeply, deeply troubling. And I actually asked Cornell West about this. Mm -hmm. and Brother well, West, he's yeah, a friend Brother of the show. West. And, and uh, he said that Barack Obama is wrong, but he will come along. I don't know if Martin Luther King, would, if, what he would have said when someone said to him, we'll come along on your rights. Well, I don't know about Rosa Parks, if she would have gotten off the bus and not sat down. Let me ask you something. Is there a leader of the gay rights movement? You guys have made progress in the last 40 years, but is there a leader? Is there a Martin Luther King or a Martin Luther Queen, for that matter? Is there, <laughs> is there anybody out there? Is there one guy or, or girl? Well, I would like to think that I'm that leader, but in truth, in truth, we are such a diverse community. We're very grassroots in our identity that we have leaders all over this country that stand up in their individual communities and say, I am gay, I am lesbian, and I am out. And that is a very brave, even today, a very brave and leadership position. So look in your own hometown and you will find that person that you're looking someplace else for. Nobody in America should be fired because they're gay despite doing a great job and meeting their responsibilities. It's not fair. It's not right. We're going to put a stop to it. Nobody in America should be fired because they're gay, says the man who's in the process of firing this guy because he's gay. This is Lieutenant Colonel Victor Fehrenbach, who will join us in a moment. He's a fighter pilot who has flown 88 combat missions, earned nine air medals, and estimates that the military has spent $25 million training him. But after a civilian outed him to the military chain of command, Lieutenant Colonel Fehrenbach was told he was being discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell after 18 years of service. President Obama's speech before the human rights campaign this weekend was heavy on firm commitments to end Don't Ask, Don't Tell but kind of light on details about how and when that will happen. I'm working with the Pentagon, its leadership, and the members of the House and Senate on ending this policy. Legislation has been introduced in the House to make this happen. I will end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That's my commitment to you. The day after that speech, even as tens of thousands of demonstrators converged on the National Mall to call for, among other things, more details and swifter action on Don't Ask, Don't Tell, General Richard Myers, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, had this to say about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. 
gays can serve in the military, just can't serve openly, and they and they do, and there's lots of them, and we are, and we are, uh, and, and we're the beneficiary of all that. General Meyer is offering a fairly succinct summary of the basic complaint about "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." Joining us now is Lieutenant Colonel Victor Fehrenbach, and um, thank you for your time tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you, David. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, given what happened to you, you lived by the don't tell part of the rule for years only to be outed against your will. What do you think when you hear General Meyer's characterization of don't ask, don't tell? Um, I think it's very disappointing. It shows a real disconnect there um, about what is really happening. Um, you know, there's been 13,000 men and women, uh, brave men and women, who have been discharged under this policy, and I don't have the exact number, but I, I think over half uh, are, are cases like mine where somebody involuntarily was outed. Um, you know, I kept my private life private for 18 years. I never wanted to tell. Um, the Air Force never asked me, so I lived by the law. Um, so in many ways, this this law isn't working for me or for thousands of others that continue to serve bravely. You uh, have not been formally discharged yet. Tell us about the status of your case. Uh, that's correct. Um, on April 15th, um, that was the, the final day of my administrative discharge board, and the board recommended an honorable discharge, and I've been waiting since then. Um, the process from that point was supposed to go through a brief legal review, then on to a personnel review board, and then up to the Secretary of the Air Force for his final decision. Um, that normally takes about five months based on other cases, but my case has been stalled in the legal review process. Um, in many ways, that's great for me because I get to put on the uniform and serve um, every day. Um, at the same time, I'm in limbo uh, since I've been recommended for discharge. Um, I don't know when uh, I'll eventually be fired if that's the case. Are you holding out hope, though, that uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell will be repealed before you're formally discharged? I am. I'm, I hold out hope every day, and you know, each day I get to serve. Um, it's an honor for me, and it's also good good to show that uh, my squadron, my fighter wing, they continue to do the job every day, and we prove every day that this policy needs to be repealed now. By my count, uh, more than 400 servicemen and women have been kicked out under Don't Ask, Don't Tell since President Obama took office uh, in late January. Obviously, you have a real sense of urgency about ending Don't Ask, Don't Tell. What did you think about the way President Obama addressed the policy this weekend? Do you think he understands the urgency? Um, I hope he does. I mean, we've heard words like this before when he was a candidate last year, and then also uh, when I was uh, fortunate enough to go to the White House in June. I heard similar words. Obviously, the words over the weekend, they were more definitive than we have heard before, um, so that gave me, again, hope. But we've heard words before, and as a military man, uh, we like to judge people on their actions, not their words. So we've heard words like this before, and, uh, and I just hope now we can have uh, action from the Congress and the President and uh, from the American people that they can help put pressure uh, on our lawmakers to do the right thing. And real quickly, Air Force Colonel, if, uh, if, if Don't Ask, Don't Tell is repealed, say in January or February, well after health care, would that be enough time for you to stay in? <laughs> I hope so. Um, you know, if we would have followed the normal timeline, I would have been fired this week. So um, hopefully um, my process can um, move slowly and hopefully the Congress can act fast enough to save my career. You know, but if not, um, it's for the greater good. So if I am fired but the policy is uh, repealed in the spring, then uh, that's for the greater good for thousands of others who can continue to serve.
Right now, traditional marriage is under attack. An epidemic is sweeping our nation, and you have the power to help. Please, help protect marriage by voting yes on the Marriage Protection Act. The 2010 California Marriage Protection Act will make it illegal to get divorced in the state of California. Marriage isn't a used tissue you can just throw away. You have to sleep with that snotty Kleenex for the rest of your life. A woman shouldn't feel entitled to own property or have control over her financial affairs. When a man commits to marriage, he's committing to taking care of me forever. Children of single parent homes are repulsive and unlovable. My grandma used to say, Marry in haste, repent in leisure. And that means don't divorce. She also said, You made your bed, now go lie in it. And that means make your bed. Sure, Jesus still loves you if you get divorced. Just not as much as before. Hell is eternal, just like your marriage is supposed to be. John and Kate plus eight divided by two equals mortal sin. In the olden days, divorces were celebrated by stoning. I mean, punished. You said till death do us part. You're not dead yet. You can't have spousal abuse without a spouse. Divorce is unnatural, like polyester, glasses, and Twinkies. Socialist countries like Canada condone divorce. What did we even fight the communists in World War II for? If outlawing divorce was good enough for the Babylonians, then it's good enough for California. If we allow anyone to get divorced, before you know it, people will be divorcing their dogs. Vote yes, because marriage isn't a right, it's a responsibility. On the sidewalk begging for change Old ladies laughing from the fire escape Cursing my name I got a basket full of lemons And they all taste the same A window in a pigeon with a broken wing You can spend your whole life working for something Just to have it taken away People walk around pushing back their desks Wearing paychecks like necklaces and bracelets Talking about nothing, not thinking about death Every little heartbeat, every little breath On Saturday night, President Barack Obama spoke to the last remaining group in the United States that is legally treated as second-class citizens. And in our third story on the countdown, the president promised gay rights advocates that he would end the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. But to the disappointment of many of his supporters, he offered no timeline for stopping that ridiculous practice. Before 3,000 guests at the annual Washington dinner of the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest gay rights organization, the president said that he did not expect advocates to be paid on the vital issue of basic human rights. And the president took the opportunity to repeat campaign promises. We are moving ahead on Don't Ask, Don't Tell. 
We should not be punishing patriotic Americans who have stepped forward to serve this country. We should be celebrating their willingness to show such courage and selflessness on behalf of their fellow citizens, especially when we're fighting two wars. So I'm working with the Pentagon, its leadership, and the members of the House and Senate on ending this policy. Legislation has been introduced in the House to make this happen. I will end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That's my commitment to you. But the president offered no timeline or deadline on that. Nevertheless, the human rights campaign in a statement welcomed the full embrace and commitment of the president. The only other president to speak to the organization was Bill Clinton, the author of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. But other gay rights advocates have noted President Obama's foot dragging on key issues, including the repeal of the so-called Defense of Marriage Act. The weekend's events were tied to Sunday's March on Washington. The National Equality March drew tens of thousands of gay rights supporters, including many who pointedly identified themselves as heterosexuals who were tired of witnessing intolerance toward their friends and family members. The focus of the march was a push for national rather than piecemeal legislation. The co-chairman of the march saying, quote, we're not settling. There's no such thing as a fraction of equality. We want equal protection under the law. But the march also coincides with key votes that are coming up in Washington, D.C. and Maine on same-sex marriage. Let's bring in activist and columnist Dan Savage, author of The Commitment, Love, Sex, Marriage and My Family. Good evening, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Even recent public opinion polls are way ahead of where the politicians are on don't ask, don't tell. So uh, this particular problem that the president has of, of still holding on to this military, this crazy military uh, procedure, how long can he do that in the face of a, a public that's willing to make this change? Well, don't ask, don't tell is a law passed by Congress and signed by Bill Clinton. The law has to be repealed by Congress and repealed has to be signed by Obama. In the interim, however, Obama could uh, issue an order suspending enforcement of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, a stop-loss order. He has the authority as the commander-in-chief, and 78 members of Congress sent him a letter asking him to do just that while they work on rescinding it. We're discharging gay and lesbian service members at the rate of two a day, Arab linguists, people we need in the forces right now while we're fighting these two wars. And so a lot of people in the gay and lesbian community, the activist community, think it's terrific that Obama is willing to repeat and repeat and repeat his campaign promises, but we want to see some action. And he made promises about the Defense of Marriage Act, about the HIV travel ban, about uh, gay and lesbian people adopting. There are a lot of promises that he made to the gay and lesbian community. This is the one where he can show that he's sincere by taking action now and suspending the enforcement of Don't Ask, Don't Tell now, just like Janet Napolitano, the uh, head of the Homeland, Department of Homeland Security, has suspended enforcement of the widow's penalty. It's this issue and really the HIV travel ban, which the administration's dragging its feet on rescinding, that where they can show that it's not just talk, that they intend to follow through on these promises.
Dan, I've noticed on health care reform this year that the Obama administration's strategy seems to be first check what the Clintons did, then do the opposite. Is this an instance where the Obama administration is looking at the problems Bill Clinton got into early in his administration by, by getting caught up in this issue, and so they've decided we're not going to do that in year one, we're going to do that in year three or year two or year well, we're, four? We have no guarantee. There's no guarantee that in year two or three or four that they're going to have the majorities in Congress that they have right now. You know, next year we're going to be told it's 2010 and we're facing midterms and we can't act on this right now. And then in 2011, we're really into the re-election campaign. And then when? When are, when are they going to act on, on these promises? You know, there's a lot of old Clinton hands in the White House, and they think it's still 1993. They need to look at the polling data. It is not 1993 on this issue anymore. Broad majorities, really super supermajorities of the American public support the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, would support the president in suspending its enforcement, including broad majorities of conservatives, independents, even weekly churchgoers. This is really low-hanging fruit, if I can use that expression in this, the context of this conversation. And the president should reach for it and do it now and prove that this promise and all his other promises to the gay community aren't just a lot of hot air, but really actions he intends to take. Now, the, the, the Barack Obama is only the second president to, to address the human rights campaign, Bill Clinton being the first. I mean, surely it's better to have a president who is willing to come and talk and address the issue than a Republican president, for example, who, who would never even come close to it. Uh, at what point does this, the feeling of, of uh, you know, good cheer and, and support of President Obama's election and his administration turn into something uh, negative, turn into anger in this community? Well, it's already turning into anger. You saw that anger in the streets. And it's really not a, a perfect sort of division. There were people at that dinner who cheered the president and cheered his words, who also marched the next day and marched past the White House and carried signs and banners. But there is really kind of a Stonewall 2.0. There really is a growing division in the gay community about tactics. You know, we've played nice. We've gotten along to get along. We've allowed uh, the Democratic Party to cash our checks and accept our votes and then tell us to our faces once they're in power that they really can't act right now that they, you know, they need to worry about preserving eternally their majority and never using their majority. Well, what's in it for us, this majority? Why should we support the Democratic Party in the numbers that we do, if you're gay or lesbian, if there's never any follow-through from the Democratic Party on the, party, uh, on the promises that are made to us every two and four years? Don't wait for answers. Take a chance. Still a victim of the accidents you leave Sure as I'm a victim of desire yeah, yeah, You're all the servants in your new hotel Throw their roses at your feet Oh, fool them all, but baby I can tell You're no stranger to the street Don't ask for favors Story. This weekend, I'm lying in my backyard, sitting in a hammock next to a ball keg of Schlitz ice. Got a uh, Cheetos beard, you know, with just a little hint of that cheese dust down my happy trail. And I'm flipping through the most recent issue of the Pentagon's Joint Force Quarterly Magazine. You know, it's a Sunday. So, 
I stumble upon this article about gays in the military that says, quote, there's no scientific evidence to support the claim that unit cohesion will be negatively affected if homosexuals serve openly. And then I remember, well, wait, gay people aren't allowed to serve in the military? I remember when our current president was running for office, he was pretty clear about one thing. I think that we should end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I have stated repeatedly that Don't Ask, Don't Tell makes no sense. Why would we not want able men and women who are willing to sacrifice on our behalf, why would we tell them no? Why would we tell them no? Well, maybe because the only thing that scares America more than terrorists is confronting the sexual duality that exists in all of us. Just me? All right, I was throwing it out there. Um, <clears throat> just testing. Cut to January. Obama moves into the White House. His press secretary tackles the issue. <laughs> really? You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> President Obama's press secretary tackles the issue in one of his very first web chats. Thaddeus from Lansing, Michigan asks, is the new administration going to get rid of the don't ask, don't tell policy? You don't hear a politician give a one-word answer much. But it's yes. First of all, that guy needs a bigger office. <laughs> or a smaller face. <laughs> so, guy in basement shooting Blair Witch 3 says yes. <laughs> Flash forward, the months pass. Obama administration. Are you revoking Don't Ask, Don't Tell? President. And I feel like we've got a lot on our plates right now, and uh, let's, let's push that one down the road a little bit. We have a lot on our plate right now. It'll have to be teed up at the right time so to, to do this the right way. The president has an awful lot on his, uh, on his desk. Of course he's got a lot on his desk. It's filled with all them teed up push plates. <laughs> Barack Obama needs a metaphor czar. <laughs> I see what's going on here. Obama, meet me at camera three. Hey, thanks for meeting me here. <laughs> I know that you have a lot on your desk plate. <laughs> but as a thin man who smokes, you may not understand the concept. All that stuff you've been putting on your plate, it's chow time, brother. <laughs> That's how you get things off of your plate. You're uh, a man of letters. You've probably never been on a cruise, but you should see the amount of people can put on what are very average-sized plates. Now, after going back four or five times, they might say to themselves, I feel terrible now. But you know what? You're the one who went on that cruise. You're the one that asked for seconds, thirds, fourths. Finish your own Plate. And I gotta tell you, in the cornucopia of sliced meats, shrimp, blocked cheese, and Waldorf salad, don't ask, don't tell. Maybe a little bit of rice pudding right over on the side, just a little bit of rice pudding. You can finish that before you even get back to your table. It's just off your. Because remember, you're the president. You're the president of America. When your plate gets too full, you get up and get a bigger plate, mister.
talking about the aftermath of the huge gay rights rally in Washington, D.C. Kevin, you mentioned that there's still a big segment of the gay community that's hugely pissed off at Obama. Do you think that's fair? Well, I think it's, um, I mean, I think it's fair for them to be pissed off in general for, I mean, for all the obvious reasons. And I think it's fair for them to keep pushing as hard as they can, not, not just on Obama, but on Obama and on Democrats in Congress who have a lot to, to say about this as well. I mean, that part I'm fine with. What I, what I, the only part that I object to is that there's been a fair amount of, of pretty over-the-top commentary about Obama in particular and how he's practically betrayed the gay rights movement because the world hasn't changed completely in nine months. And, you know, the fact is that, that he had, you know, there has been progress on some stuff. It has only been nine months. And a lot of what he needs to do, and in particular the most important piece, which is the don't ask, don't tell policy um, in the military, is something he can't do on his own. Um, I mean, unfortunately, after, you know, Bill Clinton, when he came into office, he tried to just get rid, uh, you know, uh, get, get rid of the, uh, the, uh, the policy prohibiting gays in the military. He thought he could come into office and with a stroke of a pen get rid of it. And he discovered very quickly that's not the way Washington worked. And the upshot of the whole thing was that he was sort of forced to climb down, and Congress then put that, put that into law. So it's no longer something Obama can do with the stroke of a pen. He's got to get Congress to pass something. And I think he's doing it the smart way. He's, you know, he's got a, a Secretary of Defense now who's in favor of it. He's got a, a Chairman of the Joint Chiefs who's in favor of it. He's starting to get pressure coming down within the Pentagon. And he's going to need that if he wants to get Congress on his side. So I think he's doing the smart thing. David, would you agree? I agree, but I did think that there was, uh, he had the ability to issue an executive order that would basically eviscerate don't ask, don't tell. It wouldn't overturn it, but he could sort of, you know, uh, make, basically make it, you know, uh, impossible for the military to, you know, pursue it in any vigilant way. And that's a question that I've asked Robert Gibbs and others a few times, which is while you're working with Congress for, you know, what he calls enduring, an enduring solution, meaning legislation to overturn the ban, uh, why not do some sort of stopgap measure? And, you know, Gibbs' explanation is not that, that, that this can't be done. His explanation is that, well, that wouldn't be an enduring solution. And we say, yes, yes, we know that. <laughs> well, working for one, why not have a half-enduring solution? <laughs> and um, so, so I, I do think they have some leeway there that, they, that they've decided not to take, and that they want the political cover of the Pentagon being aboard and, 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 and Congress saying okay. So, um, and I understand that for the reasons, you know, Kevin uh, detailed. But I, I, I do think there's a reason for some gay activists, you know, not to be go over the top here, but to say, well, if he really cared about that promise, he could be doing a little bit more. There's a darkness upon me that's flooded in light. In the fine print they tell me what's wrong and what's right. 
And it comes in black and it comes in white And I'm frightened by those who don't see it Where nothing is owed, deserved or expected And your life doesn't change by the man that's elected If you're loved by someone you're never rejected Decide what to be and go be it President Obama promised, as he does every month for about a year and a half to two years now, that he would end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. But this pronouncement was significant in that it came the night before tens of thousands of gay rights activists marched on Washington to protest the president's lack of action, to bring national attention to their struggle for equal rights, and from the looks of the flags, to taunt leprechauns. The gold must be under this rainbow. No, not this one. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> so Ted, that was the worst leprechaun impression ever I've ever made today. <laughs> Tens of thousands of protesters marching on Washington. I imagine that is going to cause a media firestorm. Well, CNN gave it some coverage there, although they didn't send any reporters to the scene. MSNBC did have a reporter on scene to do a couple of interviews before the march, but then they had to cut away, and this is true, to their regularly scheduled programming, A Deadly Affair, Honeymoon from Hell. Honeymoon from Hell, be careful what you wish for, gay marriage marchers. Overall, not a whole lot of coverage. And no one was more upset about the lack of coverage of the march than the People's Network, Fox News. From mainstream media accounts, you might not know that a sea of Americans marched on Washington this weekend. When at least 75,000 Americans gathered to protest something, you think it was news. How do you, by and large, miss a gigantic rally? Why is the media ignoring half of America? <laughs> Gretchen. <laughs> I don't think half of America is gay, but... <laughs> I guess if you count friends and family of gay people, people who favor rights for gays, I, I guess it is half or maybe even more than, I'm sorry, what's that? Though they're referring to the Tea Party marches, I see. <laughs> Interesting, the gay rights march was roughly the same size as the Tea Party protest. How did Fox, by and large, miss a gigantic rally like that? You'd think 75,000 Americans gathering to protest something would be news. I mean, it had everything Fox loves. Ordinary people demanding their freedoms, homemade signs. Flags, men in uniform. Don't tell we love our country, even when our country refuses to acknowledge our love. But we continue to defend it and we continue to protect it because love is worth it. Look, uh, gay people, I, <laughs> I love a theatrical costume as much as the next guy. It's a little disrespectful to those that really served in the... I'm sorry? <laughs> a Iraq War veteran, West Point graduate, Arab linguist. Discharged probably for sucking at it, being gay. Oh, really? All right. Well, you don't have to yell. You know, you're right in my ear, and I know you're angry. You know, we'll, we'll talk about this later. We'll talk about this later. I'll see you when I get home. No, it's behind the mayonnaise in the fridge. I don't... No, you take your finger out of your ear. No. P 
Democrats have had the same kind of fun with this gay rights march that they had with the tea parties? People are fired up. They're upset with the government. Have I got that right? Have you guys got something to say to Glenn Beck? Okay, okay. I guess their message to Glenn Beck would probably have been a little different from the gay rights march. Um, <laughs> probably either tell him to go f himself or who cuts your hair and why are they so angry at you? All right. So how, how did, how did, how did Fox News cover this movement? You are looking at a live picture there provided by ABC News. You didn't even send your own camera crew? You have a Washington bureau. Tell them to go to the window and point the camera down. Gay people aren't vampires. They show up on camera. So Fox wouldn't cover tens of thousands of protesters at the Gay Rights March. Uh, in case you're curious, take a guess how many Tea Party protesters need to show up to prompt Fox to get out the satellite truck and an on-air personality. The school that attracted national attention for teaching students a song in praise of President Obama is the site of a protest today. I'm going to have Rob kind of show you where this protest took place just to give you a point of reference. you guessed one, you're way over. <laughs> Although, to be fair, this was the day after the gay rights march. So, to recap, not worthy of live coverage. A point of worthy. Unworthy. Give you a worthy. The final tally between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. on the day of the gay rights march, Fox gave it three minutes and 42 seconds of airtime. Whereas the following day's anti-New Jersey children Obama song protest, represented here by an empty sidewalk. <laughs> Eight minutes and 16 seconds. What does it mean? Don't ask, because then I gotta tell you. It's hard to believe about a year and a half ago, I was in Iraq, an area called the Triangle of Death, or in Arabic, the Muthalath al-Mut. It sounds a little more death-like in Arabic, but I was in my Humvee, real dusty, real sweltering heat, and I heard the mosque and the minaret call to prayer. Allahum salli ala Muhammad wa alihi Muhammad. And my gunner tapped me on the shoulder and said, Lieutenant Choi, that sounds a little bit different. You translate that, what are they saying? It did sound a little bit different. That was a Shia political rally. 
See, knowing some of the language of what's going on certainly helped out. And so, although I was just an infantry officer, I had a degree in Arabic from West Point, and sometimes it certainly helped in Iraq. But, uh, you know, we realized that our job was actually pretty simple. We went to war, we patrolled around, we found out where the terrorists were, we killed them, we did other things. It was pretty simple. We uh, rebuilt their water infrastructure, we rebuilt their hospitals, we rebuilt their electricity. Very simple stuff. And then we uh, did some reconciliation with the tribal leaders and we installed a democracy in a war-torn country. So all very simple stuff. <laughs> and all the more simple when you don't know the language. So sometimes I did feel a little bit useful in the mut. But I came back from Iraq, and I was 27 years old, and I seen people in my family and, and my friends for the first time you know, in, in two years, some of them, and I had something missing in my heart. See, at 27 years old, I still didn't have the experience of love. I never had a girlfriend until I met in New York City a wonderful woman named Martha. And I could not stop talking about Martha. Martha this, Martha that. I would go into work and it was like, Lieutenant, you are so happy all the time. Something's wrong with you. But I couldn't stop talking about my girlfriend. And I had all these questions because I had never um, had a, a love relationship. And I said, well, what does it mean when your girlfriend gives you flowers, red roses or white roses or, or chocolates? And what is this teddy bear that she gave me for my birthday? And it wasn't just any teddy bear. The infantryman says, like, what is this? It's a bright red teddy bear with hearts all over it. How am I supposed to explain this to my soldiers? But they, I needed them to explain to me. See, because this love thing was a whole different battlefield, something I did not have a manual for. And they all wanted to meet this Martha. They said, you talk so much about her. We have to meet her. And my sister said, you keep saying she's really hot, but I want to know. I want to meet her. Is she really that hot? And there was a big problem. See, this woman Martha actually didn't exist. There was no woman named Martha. I didn't have a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend. His name is Matthew. And under Don't Ask, Don't Tell... In the military, I wasn't allowed to talk about my love. I had to lie about my love. And it was okay. For a decade, I lived under it. I was, I was never going to come out of the closet. I have a dad who's a Southern Baptist minister. I have a mom. Uh, she's a, a baby nurse at uh, maternity ward in the hospital. Translated, she wants a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> and she wants a lot of Korean grandchildren. <laughs> so for me... I was comfortable, I was hiding, it was okay. Until I fell in love. And I didn't want to lie about it anymore because finally I understood what the movies were talking about, what the poems were talking about, what the love songs and the romance, what that was all about, I finally understood it. Why should I lie about that? And I started telling. I told my parents, I told my friends, I joined the gay men's chorus. <laughs> I would look, and in the rehearsal, I would be reading this music, and I would look up, and it just seemed like any kind of straight chorus, and I was like, oh my god, all these 200 people are really gay. You are all gay. <laughs> so, this was my new community. This was like my new unit, except we didn't have to lie about who we were. So I continued to tell, and I met another group of people that I probably should have met a whole long time ago, other veterans, combat veterans, who are also gay. And I met a group of West Point graduates, just like me, who were gay. 
And we got together and we talked about our love stories. And we said, why should we lie about something that's so important to us? We learned at West Point, the very first day, the honor code, so simple. You will not lie. And you won't tolerate those who lie. But you have this don't ask, don't tell code that says, your boyfriend can't exist. Don't talk about it. You must lie. Well, we looked at it and said, well, actually, when I started telling, when I even told my mom or my dad or, say, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, I told, you know, <laughs> or Anderson Cooper, <laughs> that was illegal. That was a violation. And people said, you broke the law. I said, yeah, but I stuck true to the West Point honor code. And you know what? Before we learned at West Point that very day, uh, a decade ago, we, before we learned how to salute, before we learned how to stand at attention, before we learned how to march in step, before we learned how to take orders, before we learned how to execute orders to the best of our ability, and sometimes when we didn't do that to the best of our ability, we got push-ups, and before we even got a single push-up, we learned the honor code. It says, you will not lie. It's that simple. And so we continued to tell. We told on radio, we told on TV. My parents didn't have a problem with that until I talked to the Korean Christian conservative radios and they swore that the gay agenda was just getting me to be part of this. I think Pat Robertson himself might have called him up and said, you know he's not gay, but he's just doing all this to piss you off. Well, my dad called in and he said, we know you're not gay, this is just a phase. And he said, this is a bigger shame, a bigger shame, you have no shame, this is a bigger sin. Number one sin. I said, wait a minute, Dad. I sat through your sermons. I went to your church. I remember you preached the biggest sin is not to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the greatest command was to love your neighbor as yourself. And I remembered other commandments like honor your father and your mother. And I want to honor you because you could talk about saving face and you can talk about shame and not having any honor. But I'm telling you the truth. And any relationship of love can't be based off of deception. What face do you save when you have no integrity? So I will follow that honor code. And I kept telling. The army eventually caught up to me and said, you violated something that sent me a little present in the mail. And uh, just said really simply, really coldly that this is to inform you that because of your homosexual admission, we consider that moral and professional dereliction. Moral dereliction for telling the truth. Professional dereliction for refusing to lie. Well, the letter gave me some choices. It said, you can resign and you'll probably get your honorable discharge. You'll get all your benefits. And being 50% disabled from the Iraq war, I'm going to need some of those. I said, oh, I could just leave. But you know what? I learned a lesson at West Point the very first day. If you are a soldier and there's a fight to be fought, you stand up. And so we started collecting up these letters. About 300,000 of them came in. And some of these letters were fiercer than the letter that I got from the army. They said, you need to keep Dan Choi because he speaks Arabic. He graduated from West Point. He is an infantry officer. He's ready to go back. He's our leader, people that I served with. And they said, don't waste my taxpayer money getting rid of this guy. We are not homophobic. Don't insult us by saying that. And one of the messages that I got that I'll remember forever was one of the doctors that I met in Iraq. We rebuilt his hospital. And he said, I saw you on YouTube. You think you were doing a CNN. <laughs> you do watch YouTube. And he said, brother, if they strip you of your benefits, your country who sent you to my country, 
and all the sacrifices that you made, if they will not treat you, if they won't take you into a veteran's hospital because you have an other than honorable discharge, you come to my hospital any day in South Baghdad, any day, and I will treat you because I know you're gay, but you are still my brother. You are still my friend, and I want to honor your sacrifice, and it would be my duty to pay you back. And he also said, I saw you speaking at some of those rallies. I love this poem that you said. You are free. You are free before the noonday sun, and you're free before the moon, and you're free before the stars, and you're free when there's no sun, when there's no moon, and when there isn't a single star in the sky. But you are a slave. You are a slave to the one you love because you love him. And you are a slave to the one you love because he loves you back. I know a little bit about protecting freedoms and what it means to be free. Even on my West Point ring, it says we're the protectors of the free. I know war. And now I know love. And of all the things that war can cost, and it can be really costly, I know in my heart that of all those things, love is certainly worth it. Love is worth it. Thanks for listening, everybody. So just a quick programming note relevant to the entire podcasting universe. Word just came down from on high from the Association for Downloadable Media, something that, uh, to be honest, I didn't even know existed until recently. But the word has come down that they are working on putting together a massive survey of podcast listeners having to do with what your opinion is of advertising and podcasts, how it should be done, what you like, what you don't like, and so forth. So although I said that I hadn't heard of this association until I just heard of this survey, I did get requests from two totally separate, totally legitimate places asking me to ask my listeners to take this survey. So it's totally legitimate and... The idea is, it obviously, in the long run, it's actually going to benefit you. Not only this show, but probably most independently produced podcasts you've heard have or will at some point incorporate some amount of advertising in their shows, and the idea is to just make that experience better. Avoid doing the things that you hate, that's really irritating, and do the things which are at least vaguely bearable. So if you could, just take a few minutes. They say it'll take about 10 minutes to complete the survey and just let them know what you like and don't like. This It's not about this show in particular. That's important. You know, it's just, this is just, as a podcast listener, this is your chance to give feedback to the entire podcasting community, not just my show by any means. So what you can do is go to takethesurvey.com slash wizard. And Wizard is basically the parent company of the people who host my podcasting files. 
So they were one of the set of people I heard from asking me to promote this survey, and that's the link they've provided to, just to make it easy for you to find. Takethesurvey.com slash wizard. They're friends of mine, so I trust them, and you should too. No worries about that. And the survey is 100% anonymous. They promise to not ask for any personally identifying information at all, and, and so forth. So this is just you giving your feedback and not being signed up for spam emails or anything of the sort. So of course now I, I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Eric A, trying to fill in you know anyone I missed from a few months ago, signed up on July 26th, and James F, who signed up on August 10th. So huge thanks to you guys. Thanks for signing up and for sticking with the show up until this point. Members are absolutely the lifeblood of the show and keep us going strong twice a week. Just, just something I couldn't possibly do without their support. If you have any interest in uh, membership, just check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. All the details, the perks, benefits, and everything is laid out right there. Now, finally, I just want to make uh, one last note before I go, which is that the, the day that this show is posted is the International Day of Climate Action. If you get this show early enough in order for it to have an impact, uh, I'd certainly encourage you to visit 350.org. Check that out. If there's an event going on near you, join it. And uh, and just as a by the by, if you see, you know, hopefully there will be video and news and promotion, uh, you know, through the media on this event. It should be big international thing. Uh, so hopefully the media will actually pick up on it. And if you see shots from the Washington, D.C. event, then there's a, a fair to decent chance that I shot that footage. You know, it hasn't happened yet, but I will be at the, the major, you know, the, the biggest Washington, D.C. event. And my job is to film and then distribute that video, hopefully to have it uh, played in Times Square, among other places, and hopefully in the major media. So I thought you might find that interesting. So that is it for today. I want you to stay connected with the show on Twitter and Facebook where you're going to get all kinds of great information sent down that pipe. In fact, just a few minutes ago, this great story, I can't believe how good this story is, came across because it's so simple. Apparently Bush was, you know, our, our old friend Bush was up in Canada giving a speech and this just came across the wires. And apparently he was quoted as saying, that although he doesn't regret very much from his presidency, one of the things he said that he does regret was the infamous aircraft carrier photo op. He says he regrets standing in front of the Mission Impossible banner. I mean, how beautiful is that? You just can't make that stuff up. Like, The Onion couldn't have done a better job. So anyways, that just went out on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Great stuff like that is coming out all the time. Now, of course, you can support the show greatly just by telling five friends about it and leaving reviews in the iTunes Music Store. The show is available to listen to on your smartphone without syncing to a computer by visiting stitcher.com. And you can visit the blog to get the show notes for this episode with links to all the sources and all the music using the show. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Wednesday and every weekend, thanks to the members from bestoftheleft.com. Thought black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right.
Oh, oh, oh. We'll take you out.